Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on a third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get a over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record, 9.68. The wind is okay. How easy was that? Welcome back to Off the Podium for another special athlete interview as we continue to carry you through the summer of 2020 with uh, what we hope to be a big series of athlete interviews to fill the void of the Tokyo 2020 Olympics being cancelled. And uh, we were meant to bring you Brendan Rodney today, track and field star and uh, bronze medalist from the Rio Olympics in the 4x100 relay. Uh, Due to some uh, scheduling issues, uh, that interview is going to be postponed for a little bit, but we're actually happy today because we still get to talk about the men's 4x100 relay in Rio. As we're talking to one of Brendan's teammates, Aaron Brown, one of the fastest men in Canada, one of the biggest track stars in Canada. And you're going to get to hear thoughts from him on everything from uh, multiple world championships he's been in, the London Olympics, the Rio Olympics, and as I said, a little bit on Tokyo's postponement. So sit back and enjoy as we bring you another great Canadian athlete here, Aaron Brown. Even though everybody's listening to this post-Canada Day, uh, we're actually recording this on Canada Day, and we can't think of any better way to spend our Canada Day than to be speaking to a bronze medalist from 2016 Rio, uh, Aaron Brown from the 4x100 Relay. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, just the way we start off all these interviews, and, and we get a different answer from everybody because we typically talk to people in different sports, uh, but I think you're the first sprinter we've actually had on the show, but how did you actually break into the sport in the first place? Uh, so, man, I got to go back to um, high school days. Figured, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to run for fun um, just to stay active. You know, I'd rotate through different sports and all that, but uh, I didn't get into competitive track until I started to figure out that there was an actual market for it. Um, you know, I just ran high school and then my club coach ended up noticing me and said, you know, you could be really good in track if you uh, took this seriously and practice full time and joined my club. So I did and I started dropping my time getting faster and faster. And then I found out you can qualify for the World Youth Championships, which was under 17. And uh, that gave me the incentive to train hard and you know, come to practice and actually do some workouts and stuff like that, you know, invest in, in getting proper spikes and, and uniforms and all that stuff. So um, I started running locally in Canada and then uh, eventually my first competition was the uh, World Youth Championships, my first international competition. And I finished second in the 100 there. And uh, that's when I started getting noticed by scouts in the NCAA system. Uh, got a couple offers and ended up going to the University of Southern California for four and a half years. And uh, then I went professional with uh, Nike, and that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, and you're wearing their logo today, which is good. <laughs> when you start, you know, with the youth championships, like, uh, I, I don't know much about the World Youth Championships, but this is something that is held, like, in different countries around the world. Where were the championships that year? 
Yeah, so it's, it's in different parts of the world. Um, it was actually in Italy. So that was my first time uh, going anywhere outside of the U.S. or Canada. And, um, yeah, it was my first cha- or first major championship was in Italy in 2009. Did you watch the Olympics growing up? Like, did you, you know, follow any of the, uh, you know, sprinters like Donovan Bailey or anybody, uh, you know, prior to you getting into the sport? Uh, so I was too young for Donovan Bailey. You know, I was only four when he won gold in 96. But um, I would idly watch it you know I, I didn't really know anything about it specifically I, I would just casually watch it if it was on and you know take an interest but I didn't really know the ins and outs of uh the Olympics other than just cheering for Canadians that I saw on TV um mm-hmm. but of course being in Canada I, I've heard of Don and Bailey I mean everybody's heard of Don and Bailey and yeah. uh, it's in our like textbooks and stuff like that um so we just knew that he was really good and <laughs> the my knowledge of the Olympics is very limited as a kid. I think I sort of got into the Olympics around the time of Donovan Bailey. And I don't know if it was just a time period or something, but you know, he sort of had his distance and everything. But I mean, uh, nowadays it seems more common for runners to do multiple differences. Like you will run the 100, the 200, and obviously the relay as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. Do you, you know, have to train differently? Like when you're getting ready for a world championships or Olympics or something like that, you know, do you, have a day where I'm going to focus on this distance, you know, how does the training differ for those? And then how do you ultimately decide, you know, what you're going to go out for and what you're going to focus on? Um, so I actually started out more with an emphasis on the hundred just because, you know, I was always fast and like short sprints. Um, and when I was young, you know, I, I just always saw the hundred as the most popular. So I wanted to do that. But over the years, you know, I've developed into more of a 200 runner. So, I think people recognize me as a 200 runner that also runs the hundred, but, um, I see myself as both. So I train for both, you know, I, I want to be known as a dual threat in the 100 and 200 meter sprinter, but, uh, I, I would say my bread and butter so far has been the 200 meters. And I've kind of just approached that with my, my coach and, um, made decisions based off of that. Mm-hmm. Now, you start on the youth championship. Now, how does that eventually lead to you, you know, becoming a member of Team Canada and then working your way towards the Olympics? So it's just, uh, it's just building blocks, really. Um, so in 2009, I went to World Youth, and then in 2010, I went to World Juniors, which was under 19. Um, and then it's just kind of going to more and more championships, qualifying and, and getting your conference up, lowering your times, and then uh, figure out what you have to do to meet the standard and criteria to make the team and uh, fortunately for me I've been on a team every year ever since that first championship um, just kind of taking it year by year and, and, and assessing what I need to do to continue to climb the ladder um, so basically you just have to be amongst one of the fastest in the country uh, hit the qualifying times and then go to usually there's a trial um, when you're younger there's not really a trial like that like they just took the top two times, but, um, you know, now to make a, a senior team like the Olympics or world championships, you have to be in the top three at your national championships and also have the uh, qualifying time in order to make the team. And, and your first Olympic experience was actually in London. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've done multiples at this point. Uh, what was it like going into London for the first time, you know, experiencing the Olympics uh, for the first time? It was surreal. You know, I was 20 years old and, um, I had an unorthodox way of making the team. You know, I, I said you have to finish top three, and I actually didn't. But because I had the standard, um, I got hurt at the trials, and they gave me, like, a test run 
So I was able to prove my fitness. And because I had the standard, I was one of three people that had it. They let me run the 200 at the Olympics. So that was, you know, a very uh, unbelievable feeling. And I was so happy to make my first Olympic team and just soaking it all up, you know, being in the Olympic village with um, the greatest athletes in the world. Um, yeah, it was something that I still remember very, very vividly. I think at that time too, you know, uh, Canada wasn't quite like the powerhouse is developed into in track and field. Mm. And, uh, you know, I remember at least by the time, you know, Rio came around, I already knew of your name, you know, because you did much better in London, I think, than uh, most people expect. I mean, I think you just barely missed out on the finals. Is that right? Yeah. So I had no expectations going because I felt like I wasn't even supposed to be there. So this is all just uh, icing on the cake. But yeah, I went out there and finished um, ninth and missed the final by five one hundredth of a second. And uh, I didn't even realize that until I walked off into the track into the warm up area, and they were like, "Oh, you're, you must be so excited, but disappointed." I'm like, "No, I, I just, you know, I PR'd by a lot, and I, you know, I, I finished fourth. I raced Usain Bolt. I'm like, oh, I couldn't be happier. You know, what do you yeah. mean? I'm like, yeah, but you're so close to the finals. I'm like, really? And I, I didn't know how close I was. But then they told me after, and I was like, oh, man, like, I missed it by, you know, just a little bit. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it was just really a learning experience, and uh, I left the games feeling very confident. The thing I find so uh, interesting about sprinting, too, is that when you take other sports that are more like distance running or anything else like that, uh, or even score-based sports, you know, you can train and you could say, okay, I need to earn extra points here, or I need to take, you know, a whole minute off of a kilometer if you're doing like 5,000 meters or something like that. But I mean, there's such a small margin of error. So when you're you're talking about like a personal best and everything, I mean, how does somebody even <laughs> begin to train for and you know expect? Okay, I need to take you know a tenth of a second off, or a, when it's even such a small margin, ten second uh, or twenty seconds for the hundred or two hundred meter. How do you even get ready, or even get in the mindset of I just need that fraction of a second more? Um, I mean, it's it's like very meticulous. So you have to. You have to nuance it down to, you know, very, very small details because, like you said, it, it's such a finite distance of 100 meters. There's only so many things you can do within that distance in that time period. And in a 200, it's a little longer, so you have a little more to work with, but at the same time, it's still not very long, being 20 or 19 seconds. Um, so every step counts. You have to scrutinize every angle that you're coming out with out of the blocks and the force you're applying and your, your transitions and all that. So when it's so nuanced like that and so specific, um, you really have to hone in on your training and, and be really in tune with your, your coach and, you know, a lot of reps just going over and over again and practicing so that it's, you know, muscle memory and it's instinctive, you know, like you don't want to be out there thinking cause you know, if you get in a race and you're trying to think of your next move, the race is over just like that. And you know, you can't cover. So, um, it's just repetition, getting this stuff ingrained in your muscles so that you can do it instinctually on game day. I think Canada really started to, uh, you know, take big steps when it came to the world championships following London. Uh, and, uh, you, it, obviously in the relay, you know, you medaled in both 2013 and 2015. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and what were your experiences in relay running prior to that? Like, were you on the relay team for London? I wasn't. Um, so I wasn't on the London team, but uh, I was a reserve um, just by 
virtue of being at the Olympics, but um, I didn't run the prelims or the finals. Is uh, I was there for the training camps, and you know, we had two teams because we had eight people in the pool. Um, so I had experience running with the guys. It just I didn't run at the actual championships itself. But um, you know, uh, I'd say my experience came early on just by going to Birchmount Park um, because I, as a tenth grader was running with the seniors, you know, um, Ian Warner and, uh, Andre Hamilton, um, were very experienced runners at the school and, uh, they pulled me up from, you know, usually it's ninth graders running against ninth graders and grade 10 people running against grade 10, but, um, they saw the talent in me in grade 10. So they, they pulled me up to their team and we ended up breaking the awesome record. Um, but you know, we, we practiced from high school days and I think using those baton skills, and that experience of running at a high level against older people uh, just early on um, is something that carried over when I got to the senior level. You were saying how you're on the reserve for London too. And I think that's the other thing I always find interesting with the relay is that the team's not usually even announced until the day of. How much notice do you even have if you know you're going to be running that? And I guess the second part being what position you're going to run, if you're going to be a starter, if you're going to be in the second, third, late, or the, or the anchor. Uh, so that's all about the uh, relay coach, which has been Glenn Roy for the majority of the time. Um, he'll see your assets and, and what your skill set is and where you'll best fit and kind of judge that and put you at certain spots on the track and you'll practice with people who correspond with that spot. So if you're second leg, like I've majority been, um, they'll practice you with the first and third leg and they'll just see how you handle it. You know, they'll pair you up usually against someone else who they feel, think could be good at that spot and uh, we do a lot of repetition and we film it and do a lot of film study um you know we take time measurements and and see how fast we're going through the zones and how fast our stick passing is and if we give a good target and if we leave on time and stuff like that you know the fundamentals um and then just based off of that and flat raw speed um they make a decision to put the best four out there I probably don't even have to tell you this, but I mean, it, one of the most intense things about the relay is that exchange. You know, you, you you experience it as opposed to just having to watch it. And obviously, you know, there have been multiple instances where somebody just, you know, steps on a line or the exchange is just outside of the zone. And watching on TV, I don't think there's any way to even comprehend how precise that has to be because when I'm looking at it I'm like I can't even see the line I can't even see you know where the the exchange zone begins and ends do you get a lot of time to practice those exchanges and and have you experienced a lot of instances where you know it was just so tight and you're like oh am I actually going to make this oh yeah I mean I've been through it all in the relay uh program just by virtue of running so many times you know you kind of experience everything um you know, there's been times where I've left early and I'm like, Oh, I don't know if he's going to catch me. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. Uh, there's times where I've left late and they've run into me. There's times where I've run into people. There's times where we dropped a stick and there's times where we had a bang on. So, you know, it's, it's kind of just, uh, <laughs> rolling the dice, um, depends on, I don't know, luck, I guess. Um, and, and just how much time you put into practice. Uh, okay, so you, you win the bronze medal in the World Championships in 2013 and 2015. You know, are, are you starting to think at that point going into relay or going into Rio, we really have a shot in the relay? Yeah, um, I saw that our group of guys was getting stronger over the years and we're collectively getting faster. Um, and I just looked at the landscape of the field and I thought, you know, if we're on point on the day, you know, we can achieve great things and we've always believed that we can break the Canadian record 
it just never manifested, but um, we knew at any, any given moment we could do it. So uh, it was kind of just a perfect storm when we got to Rio. That Canadian record, now, I, I don't know this offhand, but it, was that still the same record that was set by uh, the, the team in 96? It was. Wow. So like 20 years, and that's probably one of the you know, most iconic moments in Canadian Olympic history as well. What's the feeling where you know, you know, not only are you meddling, but you're breaking, you know, this longstanding record that, you know, Canadians had just known for so long. It's still a couple weeks ago, still being aired in reruns on TV. Uh, it was bittersweet because when we first broke it, um, we were in fourth position mm-hmm. and that's the worst position or one of the worst that you can finish because you're just off the medals and you're so close. And, um, you know, we saw the time and it was really fast and we were kind of confused, like how we could run that fast and that good of a race and not be in the medal position. Um, and to be so close, it kind of just felt incomplete. Uh, so then when the disqualification came down for the U S we kind of just, uh, felt like, okay, at least we got a medal now to go along with the record and we can appreciate the record a little more. Yeah, like that was one of those moments where I think I think Rio all around was such a successful games for Canada, especially in summer. You know, it tends to be a much smaller medal count than we get in the winter. And that being also, I guess, in some ways, the unofficial main event of the Olympics. You know, what was the reaction like in the stadium that night? And then I even remember, I think I still have, you know, recorded videos of it, of uh, the media afterwards and all the interviews. You know, how crazy is it to be there on that night? Oh man, um, the media gauntlet was crazy. Uh, just all the hype around it. You know, it, it was a special night just because uh, what we were able to achieve, and uh, you know, a lot of the craze at the Olympics itself, just just by virtue of being there, um, came with it. But to be in a medal position, that just takes it to a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. The other thing I find really interesting with relays, whether it be swimming or with uh, athletics, is that you're basically uh, on a team with the very people you're competing against in other events too, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, you've over the years, you know, competed against you know, Andre and Gavin and and Brendan, you know, your teammates, and then you have to suddenly switch it on. Okay, now we're a team. You know, do you guys get to train much together uh, throughout the year in either the individual events or in the relay? Uh, not in the individuals. In the individuals, we're always against each other, but. Um... In the relays, we usually have a training camp. Now, uh, over the years, we've been going to the camps less and less just because, you know, we've had more emphasis on our individual events. But um, early on, we were at the camps for a really long time, almost too long, um, because it would sacrifice the individual events. But, you know, we're trying to still find that balance of getting enough time in to practice amongst each other while also being able to give priority to our individual events. Um, but, yeah, we, we make it work. You know, we've been working with each other over the years for a very long time. We're all, we're all friends off the track and we only hate each other when we're lined up against each other. (laughs) But other than that, you know, we, we like each other. So it's not that difficult. Well, I would also wonder, you know, is there like a friendly competition there between you guys? Cause I mean, particularly with you and Andre, I mean, are are you, am I right? You, you two are the only ones currently competing Canada that are below the 10 and 22nd marks for the 100 and 200. Yeah, we're actually the only two Canadians ever to do that. Um, wow. So, uh, yeah, we're definitely always trying to be the number one Canada's fastest man and, and hold mm-hmm. that title. And, you know, at national championships, especially, there's a lot of heat between us. But 
you know, off the track, we're still, we're still friends and, um, it's always love. One other question just on Rio, because uh, it, it's crazy. We, we started this show around the time of Rio, which was originally just to cover the Olympics itself on a daily basis. And then we're like, well, let's start talking to these athletes. And at least uh, from my memory of all the athletes we've talked to who are at Rio, we never actually asked this question, but there was so much media criticism it felt during Rio on the facilities and, you know, uh, the, the, the handling of the Olympics there and everything. And at least from my perspective, I'd love to get your take on it. I, to me, it always sort of felt like maybe, you know, we're just sort of spoiled. We've, we've come off of these countries like England and China, you know, first class facilities. And now we're in maybe a not so rich nation. And it almost felt like to me, it was maybe an unfair criticism. The expectation had just been set so high. But what were your experiences like with uh, the games in Rio? I mean, yeah, you covered it pretty much like uh, coming off of London. I was expecting the same thing, you know, kind of A1 facilities, top-notch service and all that stuff. And that just wasn't the case. Um, You know, my room, uh, I had a portable AC unit in it and uh, there would be um, water that would come out of it. And so I would would put it in a bucket so that it wouldn't get on the floor and then um, some nights it would just overflow and then I'd wake up and the floors in the hallway were like covered in water. Um, you know, my shower wasn't the greatest. Like sometimes the heat, hot water wouldn't come. Um, yeah, there's, there's just, it just seemed like it was kind of rushed and there wasn't, uh, the same quality that you come to expect at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you would have been getting ready for Tokyo at this time. Uh, and you're, uh, I think the only athlete we've talked to recently was John Montgomery, who's a winter athlete. You know, his experience would only be as a commentator if he would ever do anything now. But you were ready to go to Tokyo. And uh, I think it's interesting. You're the first person we've actually been able to ask about this postponement. You know, they're, they're around the time that they were talking about postponing it, it seemed like the majority athletes seem to be on board with let's postpone this thing. You know, where did you sort of lie as you, you knew that this was potentially going to get pushed? Um, you know, it kind of was a whirlwind, uh, as the news started to come out, we kind of were waiting and anticipating if the Olympics were still going to go on and there wasn't much coming out on it. And the little that we did see, they kept saying over and over that they're going to go on and it's going to happen and scheduled and everything's going to be fine. Um, so that gave us a false sense of uh, security and then it was just kind of like once the NBA dropped and all the other sports the major sports came out it was like okay there's no way that the Olympics can still go on as scheduled and uh, lo and behold they still were until you know it seemed like once Canada put the pressure on that if the Olympics still happened they won't go and then uh, Australia came saying the same thing um it kind of just seemed like the whole domino was just fell and it's just like okay they're pulling out entirely and just gonna postpone it and at first i was kind of like man uh i don't know how to feel about this because if the olympics actually happen and canada doesn't go like that would be insane like that'd be like the worst possible scenario but i kind of thought there's no way you can have a games like if you can't have an nba game where there's maybe like 30,000 people, how can you have an entire stadium in a, in a Olympic games with, with uh, track fans and people from around the world and, you know, just people in general at the games in the village and in all over the world, you know, traveling, it just seems like that would be the most um, risky type of championship to have, 
You know, it's not just people from one spot. It's people from all around the world mixing and matching. So I thought there was no way that the Olympics could actually proceed and, you know, and ended up uh, getting postponed, which was good. And uh, something that we definitely needed to have happen because people were going to still train for it. You know, they can see Olympic dream. It comes every four years, you know, what comes with it and what you stand to gain if you do well at it. So, um, you know, it's hard to practice social distancing and, and staying off of facilities when your dream's still out there hanging at the, in, in the, in the balance. So, um, they needed to push it back so people would stop risking mm-hmm. lives and, and actually take the, the uh, warning seriously. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, that was what we were saying, you know, we did an episode immediately after they did that. And it was, it was funny that it was, as soon as Canada and Australia said, we're not going, it was almost like the, the, uh, the IOC was just waiting. Okay. If, if, if somebody's pulling out, then we know this is a bad idea, you know, <laughs> and it just sort of took that push of, okay, there's nations who aren't going to be here. And then suddenly, okay, let's just take a step back. Let's take a look at this, you know, 2021, you know, still up in the air. If you know that's uh, feasible or whatever, you know, maybe it could be something with empty stadiums or whatever, but I'm assuming you're still training or what's it like now? How are you spending your summer uh, knowing that this is pushed for another year? Uh, still trying to stay in shape and still training. Um, we recently got back our access to our track, so that was good. Uh, for a while, we were just training on, you know, parks and in the grass and, you know, bike trails and stuff like that. And that was not ideal because we're sprinters and, you know, we belong on the track. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, we may do just to stay fit and, uh, um, you know, try to still practice safe uh, training and stuff like that. So we would wear masks and disinfect and, and, you know, gloves and all that jazz. But, um, you know, uh, the numbers seem to be spiking up again, especially where I'm at in Florida. So we might be having to go back to that. It seems it's kind of just, you know, staying low key, not really going out and and hang out like I normally do with friends and, and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Meets are slowly starting to get canceled and, Right now, they still have some type of semblance of a season happening or scheduled to happen at the end of the year, starting in August. But, um, you know, as more information comes out and time passes, we'll, we'll see if that actually happens. Mm. And, and I'm guessing you're still, you know, planning and aiming to be in Tokyo whenever it does happen? Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, how far uh, ahead do you plan? Because I, I, that's just a weird thing with the Olympics. You know, we saw with Usain Bolt he sort of knew, okay, I'm going to do one more Olympics. I'm going to do one more world championship. You know, are you just going until you're like, okay, now's the time to stop. Or do you have like a game plan? You know, I want to go for two more Olympics. You know, I want to be there in 2024 or whatever. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't really think too much about my mortality. Um, I have an idea of like when I'd ideally like to stop, which is like mid thirties, you know, I'm not looking to do this thing for the rest of my life. Um, I know that, my body is going to eventually deteriorate, not deteriorate, but, um, I still have goals that I want to achieve and, you know, I'd I'd like to have some longevity with it. So, um, I'm just going to look to keep pushing it as long as I can until I hit those goals. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely would like to do two more Olympics for sure. Mm -hmm. I just have to say on a personal level, you know, it's been so exciting to see what's happened, you know, on the track with Canada, you know, 
it's not like, you know, I think we had a complete drought after, you know, 96 and Donovan Bailey and everything. But I think even Donovan Bailey, just looking at his excitement, seeing you guys in Rio, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's really something that's just building. And, you know, I'm, I'm so pumped to see what's going to happen in Tokyo. Who knows? I mean, we could be talking to you, you know, another year, year and a half from now, and you could be, you know, medalist in 100, 200 and another relay. You know, you just keep building your resume. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what's motivating is the fact that, I still have uh, a career ahead of me. You know, I've been in the sport for quite a while because I started so young, but, um, you know, I still have a whole bunch that I want to achieve and still opportunities ahead of me. So that's what motivates me every day to keep going out there and working hard. Well, you're making Canada very proud and you're uh, <laughs> obviously giving us a lot of excitement along the way here. You know, I, I had multiple times during Rio where I was jumping up and cheering. Uh, it's just been great watching you and it's so good to have you on the show today and to be able to talk to somebody about this sport for the first time. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, like you said, we're filming this on Canada Day, so happy Canada Day to all my Canadians. Um, you know, I'll, every time we put on the maple leaf on our chest and have that Canada going across you know we take that with great pride and we just want to make you guys proud all right thanks so much for joining us today Aaron. all right no problem thank you Huge thanks to Aaron Brown for joining us today. As we said, recorded on Canada Day, uh, taking time out on his Canada Day here to talk to us. And as I said at the beginning, we have a bunch of athlete interviews that we're lining up uh, to carry you through the entire summer. Uh, some that we're going to keep as a surprise. Some we've already partially announced. We've got one really big one that we're hoping to bring you in the next couple of weeks, which uh, if you go back and listen to our John Montgomery interview from last week, you hear a little bit of a tease of one of the huge athletes we're going to be bringing you in just a couple of weeks. Uh, also, you can go back and listen to our interview from John Montgomery from last week, the skeleton gold medalist from Vancouver 2010, uh, also host of Amazing Race Canada. We had a good chat with him last week. And if you do enjoy the show, uh, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now. Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you can find us. Uh, we also now are on Twitter uh, for the first time and who knows how many years we've been doing this show. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. But most importantly, make sure to subscribe to us because we are going to be bringing you lots of interviews uh, over the next couple of months and uh, you don't want to miss any of them, trust me. Thank you to Aaron Brown again and thank you to everybody for joining us and subscribing and happy belated Canada Day to all our Canadian listeners. Turning Japanese up, they come turning Japanese up.